you have a copy of God's Word or can get access to one in the pew in front of you, I'd like to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This is a a tricky chapter. It's a short chapter uh, because it contains what seems like a whole collection of proverbs and sayings. And therefore it has been and it can be interpreted in different ways. And uh, Derek Tidball, who was with us in February, and I know many of you were here whenever he spoke, but I must admit that uh, I have found his approach to this chapter, because Derek Tidball has done a commentary on Ecclesiastes, and his approach to this chapter has been really helpful and really refreshing, and so I do want to draw a lot on his reflection. So let's uh, let's read God's Word together. Let's do what we usually do. Let's stand for the public reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes 11. We're going to read right down to the first verse of chapter 12. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes, to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all, but let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young. And let your heart give you the joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come. And the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Grab a seat. Let's, let me begin by, uh, by stating the obvious, that problems in life are inevitable. They're unavoidable. They come as standard. A hassle-free life is, is not an option. But alongside inevitable problems comes incredible opportunities. But here is the dilemma. Sometimes we become so focused on our problems that we miss the opportunities. And therefore what happens is that you end up enduring life rather than enjoying it. Let me develop this a bit further. Have you ever met the sort of person for whom everything's a problem? You know the sort of person for whom everything's a hassle. The glass is always half empty. The weather this week has been too warm. Uh, Work is too stressful. The kids are too frustrating. People are too demanding. Fuel is too expensive. Politicians are too corrupt. The future is too bleak. And so the list could go on and on. Now please don't misunderstand me because I'm not in any way trying to underestimate the reality of some of the problems that lots of people face, even people here this evening. But based on Ecclesiastes chapter 11... What I want to do is question and challenge the growing pessimistic outlook on life that seems to be all around us. You see, to moan and to complain is increasingly part and parcel of our culture. Whinging has become, it seems, an art form. 
And if you do enjoy life, if you live at the other extreme, if you do enjoy life, if you are a generally positive person, an upbeat person, a thankful person, well then people think you know something, they're a bit naive. They're a bit gullible. And as we get into this, what I want us to do is bear in mind as we go through this, that for those who have been following this series, the writer of Ecclesiastes, who we have described as the searcher, he could never be accused of glossing over life's problems. He doesn't duck the reality of problems. In fact, if anything, you could often accuse the searcher of going a bit overboard on the negative aspects of life. In fact, sometimes you wonder as you listen to him or as we have listened to him, why did he ever bother getting out of bed in the morning? But in chapter 11, he has something very positive to say about living life to the full, which is a highly biblical concept. Because contained within these ten verses, he offers a relatively radical suggestion. The searcher invites us to celebrate life. So although life is uncertain, and although life has its problems, Solomon doesn't want his readers to adopt a spirit of despair. Instead, he actually highlights as we go through this, the need for a spirit of trust and a spirit of of adventure. Do you know what is so refreshing whenever you encounter someone who loves life? Isn't it? Someone who actually is enjoying life. Someone who is enjoying today. Someone who's not saying, well, tomorrow will be a better day. Next week will be better. Once I go on my holidays, it'll be better. But actually, it is so refreshing whenever you meet someone who's just positive about today. Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, the searcher, I want to suggest offers some advice on how you adopt that perspective and therefore some advice on how you can go about celebrating life. So in a sense, what I want to end this series with is just an encouragement to celebrate life as you enter the summer. Okay? So here's the first piece of advice he offers. Seize the opportunities. Take a look at verse 1. Now I know that verse 1 is a strange verse. And I know, and many of you will, may want to challenge me afterwards, people have interpreted this in very different ways ways. But here's my favourite slant on these words. That if you link it with verse 4 and verse 6, what the searcher is really saying is this, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Life has lots of opportunities, but unless you grab your opportunities, you'll lose them. Don't err on the side of caution. Instead, throw caution to the wind. Cast your bread on the waters, push out the boat, take risks, don't play it safe. Now I don't think that uh, that is the most wise advice from allegedly the wisest man who ever lived. At least that's what some people think. And in fact, as some people have read not only that verse, but the remaining nine verses, they actually struggle with what the searcher is encouraging. And I don't think that the sports company Nike uh, were around when the searcher lived. But he would have loved their slogan. Just do it. How many people have seen the film Dead Poets Society? Famous phrase, Carpe Diem. What does it mean? Seize the day. And that really is the searcher's advice. If you want to celebrate life, then don't play it too safe. Live a little. Seize the opportunities that there are around you. And in verse 2, have a look at this. 
it seems that he takes it even further by not only saying that we should seize the opportunities, but actually let's recognize that there are loads of opportunities. There are many opportunities. You'll see that he says, give portions to seven and yes to eight. Now, as I understand it, those are actually indefinite numbers. In today's language, you know the way we would talk about getting totally involved something to the nth degree? Well, that's what this is about. In other words, throw yourself into life. Don't just invest your time and your energy in one or two things. Otherwise, you'll end up in a rut. And you might even get stuck. Life is so rich. Life is so varied. Don't restrict yourself. So, for example, don't just live for your work and your career. Don't allow it to become your all-consuming passion and your only real interest. Because what happens when you retire? Or what happens if you lose your ability to work. What will you live for then? The searcher in Ecclesiastes is wanting us to realize that God has given us so much in life. Live it to the nth degree. But because some of the risks we take and some of the opportunities we grasp will fail, and that's one way of understanding the second half of verse 2, then it's better to pursue as many different opportunities as possible. But what happens when you do risk or you do grab an opportunity and a door slams in your face? Because following an experience like that, it can really affect your view of life. It can really influence your hopes for the future. Well, let me offer you this thought. The truth is that that every time a door closes behind us, the rest of the world opens up in front of us. In other words, it boils down to an issue of perspective. The writer of this goes on to say, all we need to do is stop pounding on the door that is closed, because that's our tendency, and see the largeness of life that now lies open to the soul. I believe that that is a perspective that the searcher would endorse. That kind of perspective will actually save us from becoming negative. And closed doors are disappointing. And I know that in the congregation this side there will be people here and there. Maybe that's what you're facing at the moment. Or that's been a recent experience. But closed doors don't necessarily need to be self-destructive. More opportunities will come along. So what the search is saying is embrace new ones rather than lament the ones that have passed. And in verse 6, the teacher actually highlights that opportunities are a daily occurrence. Embrace life from dawn till dusk. So in the morning. But don't always stick your feet up in the evening and take it easy. Invest in other interests. Grasp new opportunities. Embark on different adventures. Now, whenever Dyke Tidball was, was writing about these verses, here's what he said. Be enterprising. Launch out in a new direction, knowing that God created life to be continuously full of opportunities. So maybe at 40, it's time to start hand gliding. And at 50, abseiling. And at 60, windsurfing. I don't know what you think about that, but the searcher's piece of advice from his perspective was this. Enjoy life. Celebrate life. Get the most you can from life. Seize the opportunities, the many opportunities that present themselves right throughout your life. And as he develops this in verses 3 to 5, he seems to recognize that to enjoy life, you may actually be inhibited. You may be curtailed. 
you may be paralyzed by three restrictors. Inevitability, speculation, and mystery. If clouds are full of water, according to verse 3, it means it's going to rain. And if a tree falls, it's going to lie there. That's just what happens. In other words, certain things in life are inevitable. They're a given. You can't change them. But either you stay in because it might rain, or else you go out and you get on with life regardless. Don't let the inevitabilities of life restrict your adventures. I could say so much more than that. But then the writer looks at the other side of the coin. And he concludes that there are also times when you don't know what's going to happen next. Yes, there are inevitabilities of life, but there's also things that you cannot predict. And so life becomes a bit of a speculation game. And sometimes we get caught up in endless speculation, wanting to cover all areas or all the bases or all the possible eventualities. But the problem with that, the problem of waiting to do something until you are sure is that you end up doing nothing. For those, I don't know if anybody's got the New Living Translation with them this evening. But have a look at how it translates verse 4. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. And it's so true that sometimes God gives us opportunities and instead of seizing them with both hands, we want to wait until every I is dotted and every T is crossed and every question is answered and every possibility is considered And by the time you've speculated what might be or what could be, the opportunity is gone. The day is over. And if we constantly ask, well, what if, then we're in danger of missing a whole stack of opportunities that will come our way. Don't procrastinate. Just do it. There are inevitabilities in life. There will always be an element of speculation. And then there's mystery. Have a look at verse 5. Because the writer makes it clear that there are some mysteries in life we're never going to get our heads around. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, paraphrase translation of of the message, here's how he puts Ecclesiastes 11.5. Just as you'll never understand the mystery of life forming in a pregnant woman, so you'll never understand the mystery at work in all that God does. You see, not all mysteries in life can be ironed out. They will not be ironed out this side of heaven. But don't let that stop you living. I I came across this not that long ago, but on her 103rd birthday, Catherine Booth, uh, the Salvation Army leader, was having a, a radio interview. And here is what she said. There are mysteries that we will never know the answer to. But even so, you can enjoy life. And you know, we we live in a society that wants answers. Answers to everything. And although we do know more now than we ever have done before, there's still a lot of grey. A whole lot of grey. But grey is actually okay sometimes. Clarity isn't always our luxury. But what is crucial is acknowledging, and have a look at the end of verse 5. What is critical is acknowledging that God, the maker of all things, is at work. And so we can leave some things to the realms of mystery. But don't let mystery hold you back from getting on with life. So enjoy your life. Don't be paralyzed by inevitability. Certain things are going to happen. Don't be paralyzed by speculation, wondering what might be. Or the fact that you don't know everything. You never will. Just live. 
The next piece of advice, and I an, know this, 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 is, this is very, I do recognise, and as I was working my way through this, there are so many questions this raises. And, and you may have so many questions about this, and that's absolutely fine. But the next piece of advice comes in, in verses 7 to 10, where the searcher says, be happy. Now, happiness isn't always associated with the Christian faith. Uh, Christians aren't always the best adverts for happy. And uh, in verses 7 to 10, the, the searcher stresses the importance of, of happiness in order to enjoy life. So in verse 8 he says, however many years you live, enjoy them all. And in verse 9 he says, be happy while you're young. And in verse 10 he says, banish anxieties and cast off troubles. Now what is really important, and I need to stress this, is that he's not talking about a superficial or a glib happiness. But instead, he's talking about a happiness that arises from a profound trust in God. We'll come back to that in a moment. So he's not saying we should just slap each other in the back and say, look, be happy, whatever is going on, or despite your pain and the problems. But what he is trying to do is he's trying to encourage us to see a fresh perspective on life. And in verse 7, what he seems to be saying is he's encouraging us to be happy by learning contentment. If you've been with us during this series, you'll know that in a previous chapter, the searcher actually said, it's better to be dead than alive. But he knows that that actually isn't the case. And so he says here, it's good to see the sun. Light is good. It's great to see the sun. In other words, every day is a precious gift. In other words, this is the day. Today, this is the day the Lord has made. I will, that's a choice, I will rejoice and be glad, not in tomorrow, but in it. Don't take today. Don't take the fact that you have got up this morning and you've glimpsed the sun for granted. Learn to be happy by learning to be content. As I say, we, we do live in this restless world where people want more. In fact, people demand more. And they even expect more. But somewhere along the lines, it seems that we as a society have lost the simple joy of yet another glimpse of daylight. Happiness comes from learning to be content, whatever your circumstances. And we all know that that's a highly biblical value. And in verse 10, there's a sense in which you can learn to be happy by learning to be, and this is just, by learning to be carefree. Banish anxieties. Cast off your troubles. The message translation of that verse says, live footloose and fancy free. You won't be young forever. Now again, I know some of you are thinking, now hang on a wee minute, like, there are young people here. Surely that's not the sort of advice we should be giving off to young people. Surely young people don't need the kind of encouragement that the searcher's saying here of just go and live footloose and fancy free. Because you know what will happen? They'll end up in all sorts of trouble. They'll end up going off on all sorts of tangents. They might actually enjoy life far too much. And in a minute, I am going to backtrack a little because there are certain conditions attached to this. But let me say something at this point, that we do live at a time where young people are under incredible pressure to grow up far too quick. To not enjoy their childhood, never mind their youth. And therefore, what has happened is that more and more young people, certainly this was my experience whenever I worked with a number of young people on a constant basis, that more and more of them seem to be missing out on what it meant to be carefree and just have fun. Pressure to succeed. 
pressure to behave in a certain way, pressure to look a certain way. And in a church context, what I sometimes found was that older people expected young people to behave the way they behaved. So they want a 14-year-old to behave like a 40-year-old. And actually, that's not going to happen. And the result, whenever we put pressure on young people to grow up far too quick, is that it robs them of their happiness, it robs them of their joy. And in a sense, the searcher is saying, look, let's give young people the opportunity to just grow up and not try to squeeze them into some adult mold before they're ready. But remember, I need to say this, being carefree is not the same as being careless. There's a huge difference in the two. It's not about, I'm not advocating an irresponsible approach to life or even escapism. But I am advocating a handling of life positively. And so if you look at this, sandwiched within these verses on happiness is a caveat to all of this. A note of caution. And it's another key piece of advice for how you go about celebrating life. And it's this. Be realistic. Despite the fact that some people think that the writer is giving a license to just have a good time regardless, what he does in this chapter is he injects just enough realism into it to prevent anyone from going overboard. And in verse 8, you'll notice that he reminds us, listen, there will be dark days. There will be dark days. There will be difficult things to go through in life. But we can still enjoy life. It's back to how I started this. Yes, there are certain inevitabilities. And dark days are inevitable. That's just part and parcel of life. Times of pain and painful experiences will be what many of us experience. But you can still enjoy your life in the midst of that. And the second injection of realism comes in verse 9. Do everything you want to. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. No one's exempt from judgment, the searcher says. So bear in mind that as you live life, and as you enjoy life, and as you celebrate life, that someday you're going to have to stand before God and give an account of every word and every thought and every action. So certainly the searcher says, live it up, but please recognize that there are boundaries. And as we enter the final chapter of this book, I want to conclude this series, and I'm nearly through, by sharing one final piece of advice that's offered by the searcher. Now I know that verses 9 to 14 are important, and they contain some great advice. Like that classic piece of advice, fear God and obey all his commands, for this is the duty of man. I mean, that's brilliant. And there's a sermon there all by by itself. But it does seem, and this this is the perspective of some people, it does seem that someone other than the searcher is rounding things off. Because you will notice that the searcher or the teacher is referred to in the third person from verse 9 on. So I actually want to finish this series at verse 8. And the final piece of advice that the searcher offers is this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And the thing is that many of you here have done that. You at some point in time have remembered your creator. Some of you young people are here tonight and you're doing that. And in a sense, I want to finish this series by just encouraging you who have done it and those of you who are doing it. 
And the searcher urges us to remember your creator in the days of your youth before, he says, the days of trouble come. And then, through vivid imagery, he offers a highly lyrical description of the aging process. And I've got to be careful I don't look at anyone in particular when I'm, when I'm going through this. Verses 2 to 5 are fascinating. And again, people have interpreted them in different ways. But what many people think he's talking about here, and if you just look at these with me, have a wee scan down them. But he talks about the diminishing powers of memory as you get older. The loss of mobility as your arms and legs grow tired and ache. How the teeth decay, the eyesight fades, the ability to hear reduces, the levels of fear increases, the hair goes grey, and finally, and maybe it's a good thing that it's finally, sexual desire disappears. But here's the point. Before all that happens, before all that happens, this is the searcher's advice as he reaches this point of his life, before all that happens, and even before his verses 6 to 7, you pass away. And as dust, you return to the ground. He says, before all of that, make sure you remember your creator in the days of your youth. But the key question is this. What does that actually mean? What, what, what does it actually mean to remember your creator? Just think about him. Just bring him to the front of your mind. It actually means to discover God, to relate to God, to learn to know God, to learn to walk with him. Remembering means having a living connection with Almighty God. It means having the creator of the universe clearly before you on a daily basis. And the time to begin that, the time to begin that process, that journey, that life perspective is when you're young. Because we all know that statistically speaking, most people who do come to Christian faith do so by the age of 18. In fact, I heard a statistic this week that said that 95% of all believers who come to a personal faith do so before the age, and it's a topical age at the moment, of 50. And so as we end this service this evening and wind up this series... The searcher encourages us, enjoy your life, celebrate life, live it to the full, experience a level of enjoyment that seems to escape so many people. And that's only possible if you do this. Seize the opportunities. Many of them. Don't play it too safe. Be adventurous. Live a lot. Despite the inevitabilities, despite the speculation, despite the mystery. And don't worry too much. Be happy. And remember, take your daily dose of realism. There are dark days. You will have to stand before God and give an account. And the key to all of this, the key to celebrating life and enjoying life to the full, is in remembering your Creator in the days of your youth. And again, as I often say at the end, may God help us to do that.